I'm going to begin to get our last lesson out for this April series of I Love God's Promises. And if you have your technology, you can find it in John chapter 14. And then I'm also going to be reading it momentarily from Acts chapter 1. As you're finding John 14 in Acts chapter 1, let me mark it next month's series as we're waiting upon you in May. We're going to continue the I Love series, and we've entitled May's series, I Love Myself, with a question mark. I Love Myself, with a question mark. And we're going to take the month of May. It's been, oh, multiple months since we've been able to have an encounter. And uh, years ago, we did encounters, which was our method over the weekends to minister personal wholeness to people. And we've not been able to do that. It's not been uh, on, the, on the radar recently. But I felt like it was time that we just talked about a theme that caused us to do some introspection to be able to do some personal wholeness. So I love myself. How many of you know that God in his word says that we're to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love our neighbors as we love our neighbors as so in other words, if you're going to love your neighbor appropriately, then you have to understand how to love yourself appropriately. Now, I understand that sounds almost selfish or self-consumed to love myself. And that's why we put the question mark, because the fact of the matter is there are some people who do love themselves to the point of selfishness. We're not talking about being selfish or self-consumed. We're talking about your desire for God's will and his wholeness in your life. That's when you're loving yourself appropriately. And so this is going to be a great series in the month of May. Um, it is Mother's Day month as well. So who better to share and get us started than Pastor T in this area of personal wholeness. So she's up to bat next week, and I'm looking forward to it because she's just gotten through a class. We're not going to spoil it for you. But she just got through this amazing class that really spoke some new revelation to her. And so uh, she's excited. I'm excited because I get to hear the fruit of it as well. And you're going to be very much helped with regards to personal wholeness. I'll just clue you in. If you didn't know this, you are as dysfunctional as I am. You're as crazy as I am. I know people say, I'm not crazy. Oh, oh, you don't think you're crazy. But everyone around you knows differently. So all of us need a sense of wholeness. And the, the easiest way for you to begin to embrace that is just come and take the trip and be here in May. And you may have some friends that maybe attend another church in the morning. And this would be a great way they could save $250 a, a, a psychiatric clinical hour by coming. And I'm telling you, they will hear some things on four different Sundays that can literally transform their life and save themselves a thousand dollars. I tell you what you could do with that a thousand. You could just sow it into legacy if you wanted to. And we'd love to have it and redeem it. All right. So Pastor T is going to kick it off. There'll be other voices that will be bringing messages as well. And um, you will want to be a part of it. Amen. Say amen. Come on. We're full gospel. We we talk back to the pastor. Are you in John chapter 14? I'm going to read from John chapter 14 before I get there. If you ever have a chance, and maybe some of you have, have you ever been to Biltmore House in Asheville? 
Raise your hand if you've been to Biltmore. Some of you have been to Biltmore. Okay. Let me ask you this. How, how many of you have been to Newport? I know at least one other. Newport, Rhode Island, and seen the mansions at Newport. Yeah, man. See? Listen, if you ever have a chance to go to either Biltmore in Asheville or to go to Newport, Rhode Island and just see some of these summer homes of the wealthy, I mean the incredible wealthy. We're not talking about the contemporary wealthy, but we're talking about... Uh, those from a bygone era, you need to make the trip to one of those uh, places. Both of those uh, areas, the one large home, which is called America's Castle, which is the Biltmore in Asheville, um, it was built by the Vanderbilts. I think it took about seven years to build it. it. I never thought, my wife had asked me for years to go, and I just kept resisting her because I don't want to go see a house. I'm a guy. I, guys don't tour homes. I, you know, I will watch HGTV with her, but it's, it's because I love her, not because I love HGTV. That's just, that's just how I am. I mean, who would have thought years ago that you could have built a network on people buying houses? I mean, it's really quite remarkable that uh, that is how it works. But I'm telling you, even the guys, if you can get to Biltmore, you'll not regret going. The history, the opulence, the amazing architecture that is there it is absolutely amazing or to newport 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 homes mansions are are they're summer they're more summer homes they're beach cottages which you know you'll roll your eyes when you see it but but all of this all of this were, were, were images left over from what they called the gilded age and the gilded age was a time period in america that we'll never see again because in those particular days wealth was allowed to accrue within families uh, most of them were associated with railroads and other type commodities that were cutting edge really technology at the time and they were able to accrue unbelievable sums of money that if we translated into today's dollars they would certainly have been billionaires probably billionaires the likes of which that would have even put uh, uh, you know gates to shame uh, so to see these homes and to see how they were built and to see all that surrounded them. I mean, they were mansions. And if you've never seen a legitimate mansion, I mean, you can go to Kiowa in our area and you can see some pretty crazy houses there. But I am telling you, the Biltmore puts the Kiowa houses to shame. Mansion. When I think of the word mansion, that's what I think of. I, I, I think of the Gilded Age, I, I think of that time period, 1870s to probably the 1920s, when wealth was accrued in such measure that, that people could afford anything. And they, they did. They built it all. Mansions. When Jesus was leaving his disciples, one of the most remarkable promises that he left to them was that he was going away, but there would be a day that he would come back and that he would take them away to be with him in a mansion. Now, he may have meant something different than the Biltmore estate. I don't know that in heaven we all have Biltmore estates waiting for us. But the word mansion just solicits images, does it not? That just causes us to think there must be a real wow factor to when Jesus comes and he takes us to be with him. I want to read to you those passages and uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it this afternoon i mean the lord has been here and ministered but i, I want to download just a couple things to you before we break 
And I've called this last message as we wrap it up, I've called it the return. The return. John 14, I'm going to read the first three verses. It says this, Jesus, I'm quoting. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that a great passage? <laughs> that ought to put a smile on your face. I guess the only one it wouldn't is if you didn't know the Lord. But if you know him, that ought to put a smile on your face. Leap to Acts 1, beginning with verse 9. Acts 1, verse 9, just a couple quick verses here. We read, now when he, meaning Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And we'll stop there. And I want to spend these last moments talking on what I've entitled the return. The return. Now the gospel of John is the gospel that really doesn't focus on the entirety of Jesus' life, but really focuses primarily on the last week of Jesus' life. Really the days that are leading up to his crucifixion and his resurrection and some time following it. John's a great gospel to read because it sort of gives you a more detailed picture of what Jesus was thinking and saying as he's making his way through that last week of his life. The other gospels kind of give you overviews of his whole life and ministry, but John zeroes in primarily on that last week. And, and it's good because we get this sense of what the Lord was leaving for those early disciples as they were contemplating what the end of his earthly ministry and even his life was going to be look, looking like. And Jesus gets a word of knowledge as oftentimes he does, although it may have been on their faces as well, because he sees these disciples and he looks at them and instantly he addresses what he sees and he says these words, let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled. They should have been troubled, I would suppose. Both Rome, as well as the Jewish system, had marked them all. They're not popular now. Uh, they're actually, in some ways, considered to be criminals, outlaws. At least Jesus was, and because they were hanging around Jesus, that reputation spilled upon them. Didn't take a brain surgeon, nor did it take a work of the Holy Spirit to know that things were changing, the tide was turning. Jesus was coming into some, some disrepute, and so they were feeling troubled, troubled. Jesus identifies it and says, hey, hey, I want to talk to your heart right now. Don't be troubled. The actual word troubled means to cause inward commotion, to take away your calmness of mind, to make restless, to irritate, to stir up, to dread, to fear. 
it literally means to put in motion or agitate uh, back and forth, kind of like shaking or agitating water. So if you've ever, you know, maybe if you've ever, if you've bathed a young child and you put the bubbles in there and, and you're agitating the water to get the bubbles going, that's kind of what the word meant, that your heart, that something is agitating your heart. And so Jesus was looking at them saying, listen, listen, I'm going to tell you something here. Don't let that agitation take place in your life. How about you? Have you ever been agitated in your heart? Have you ever been stirred? Have you ever had commotion? Has has, has your mind, the calmness of your mind, the peace of mind been stolen from you? He was addressing these very concerns because of their circumstances. And he assured them that despite what they saw with their eyes, that there was going to be a future reunion. And this future reunion, interestingly enough, is going to include mansions. He says, I'm going away, but I'll come because in my father's house are many mansions. Now, I know how I grew up. Maybe you did, too, with regards to mansions. Again, I don't know that we're going to have these opulent centers. We may well have. Glory to God. Streets of gold, gates of pearl. Maybe we all get mansions. I'm happy to have my mansion. The word actually probably is best translated dwelling place or a place to stay. That's, that's what that word mansions, translated mansion. But it, but it carries with it several things that before I talk a little bit about his return, I, I wanted to talk about why he's coming to get you and where he's taking you to this, this aspect of mansion. And there are four aspects of mansion that I want to share with you. The first aspect, whether it's a Biltmore house or not, the first aspect is is that it will be a place of refuge. Now, a refuge is a place of safety and protection. And the Old Testament, interestingly, made provision uh, for people who were falsely accused of crimes, particularly murders, or those that perhaps had been acquitted of a crime or a murder. They, they designated cities that were called cities of refuge. And the reason they designated these cities was despite the fact of you being exonerated in a court of law, that there would be people they knew, God knew, would be upset by your exoneration. Maybe there wasn't enough evidence to convict you. And they would want to take matters into their own hands. And so they created these cities of refuge in order to keep people safe upon whom avengers would be after to kill or to exact what they felt like would be the appropriate justice that should be you know, received from you. You were let go out of court. They didn't feel like it was right. The avenger would be after you, and they were going to get their eye for an eye. You know, eye for an eye. What is it? Tooth for a tooth. They were going to get, they were going to get their pound of flesh back for you. These cities were created as cities of refuge. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, hear me when I tell you that it does not matter how the culture has its crosshairs upon you. It doesn't matter how much adversity you may be facing. Jesus said, there's going to come a day that I'm going to come get you and I'm going to put you in a place of refuge that no avenger or injustice will be able to touch you ever again. Amen. Amen. A place of refuge. No trap doors. No revenge. No open door to the enemy. You're going to have a place where you're going 
to be safe, refuge. The second is that he says, when I come get you, it will be a place of residence. Now, this is the most misunderstood, I think, at times, part of Christ's return, is that when he returns, and I'm going to get to some differences here if we have time, but when he returns and literally gathers us, that there's literally going to be a place for us to stay. When we instantly die, when we die, we instantly go to be in the presence of the Lord. But hear me, on the last day when he returns and the dead shall rise, we're not going to some other planet. This planet will be the planet you and I reside on for the rest of our lives. A lot of people are confused about this. This this place will be renovated. This place will be redone. This will get God's HGTV work done on it. And when you and I spend eternity after our resurrection, we will be on this earth. Hear me. This is why this is so important. Because a lot of, I I honestly wonder if, if we're building and we're doing things that will endure even for an eternity. Now some believe it's all going to be burned up and it all starts over again. And we can have a great debate. But here's the deal. This is the place. This is the center of the action. And we're going to have a residence here. Praise God. The third thing about this mansion is that it will be a place of reunion. I think this is the most emotional of all the aspects of his return. And that will be that there will be a reunion of friends and family which we have long since missed or have long since passed and perhaps you never knew. I mean, there are those that have, that have died unexpectedly, those that died before their time. There are those in your family tree that you never met, that have passed away. Listen, I can't tell the story, but my wife and I lost a baby years ago. And we named that baby Mariah for various reasons. And there are just moments I think about it. You know, Kaylin was really the vindication of the losing of Mariah. And we never got to see Mariah. We never got to know Mariah. We never got to, to fellowship and enjoy what that meant to have her. But how many of you know she was a life? She was a person. We believe this. And, and she died and she was taken away. And I, I, this is my view. The Bible says that the moment we see Jesus, it says that when we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. So this is what I believe. I believe when we're in in our resurrected bodies, we're all going to be 33 years old. I know know people think I'm nuts to say that. I believe that though. So really, that's really good news for me because I'm 57. Now, if you're under 33 right now, that may not be as good a news for you. But for me, that's pretty good news. And this Mariah, I believe, is going to run up to us. And she's going to look like a young woman. And, and, and I will have never met her, but I will know her. And the pain and the hurt and the confusion and all that took place in that time period in our life will suddenly be turned to joy. Why don't you want to be a Christian? <laughs> I got good news. I'm going to get a neck hug from somebody that I loved but I never met good news and then lastly it's a place of relationship 
Of all the rewards and mansion talk we can look to with regards to Jesus' return, the bottom line really is that our relationship with the Lord will be consummated at this meeting. Right now, we walk by reality and we walk by sight. We see the circumstances around us and they affect us and they trouble us. And so we we muster up the faith to believe that there'll be a better day and that that God will somehow come through. But there's coming a day when when the reality and the sight that troubles our hearts today will be turned into a reality and sight in another realm and in another place where we will see Him as He is and have the relationship that we always took by faith here, that relationship will be in reality. That's good news. And that's what he's returning for that's what he's returning for i'm running out of time we had a had a great message here i guess i'm going to ask this this is how i'm going to end it because i learned from ed that everybody enjoys a short message Hey, listen, wise man, very wise man. I just, I, 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 all I had time was to paint a picture of a, of what a mansion, what a mansion will look like. When I was, when I was younger, my, my secret hope was that Jesus wouldn't come soon. The reason being is because there was a lot I wanted to accomplish as, as, as a young man. In fact, I, I'll put it to you like this way. Kaylin makes me think of Kaylin. Kaylin came the other day and she said, you know what it'll be like? It'll be a week before my wedding and Jesus will come. <laughs> That's her biggest fear is that Jesus will come before she can be married. Please, Jesus, don't come before I get married. Or please, Jesus, don't come before I can, you know, accomplish something or succeed at something. I mean, that's kind of how I was as a young man. It was almost like, oh, oh, I hope it's not soon because I've got too much to do, too much life to live, too much to accomplish, too many goals. I've got some aspirations, and I believe me, I get that. But you get, you get past, I'm, I can't speak for everybody, but it seemed like once you kind of get past 50 and you know you're kind of in the second half of life, something changes things change and what changes is that you realize because you're on the clock that there's more time behind you than there is ahead of you and because of that it's and it's not a bad thing it's just it is just a thing your mind starts turning and i find myself thinking about how temporal i really am I start thinking about my finiteness. I start thinking about, I wonder, I just wonder, I'm 57, so, you know, does that mean I've got 20 years left? Maybe 77, you know, God's good. Maybe, maybe, maybe 30 years, 87. How many of you know I'm preaching? How old am I preaching to? Into your 90s, I've said that uh, 90 times. So maybe I, maybe I get to my 90s. Maybe. And, and Andrea says she'll be in the congregation then. So they'll wheel us both in, Andrea, is what they'll do. They'll just wheel us in. 
But even at 90, that's 33 years. 33 years. I think now back how quick 33 years went in my life. And that feels like, wow. And it's over. So my mind naturally drifts to what I wonder what it's going to be like when it's my turn. Here's the deal with the return of Jesus. And I may get back to it and maybe I'll preach. In fact, I'll just have to do that. I remember the greatest Wednesday night series we ever had was when I taught on the second coming for 10 weeks. Everybody came out of the woodwork. Everybody wants to know what's going to happen in the future when we should be after it today, but it's just how that is too. But, but, but here's the deal. Whether Jesus comes before the day's over today, whether he comes by person or whether he comes because we're called into his presence by accident. I mean, none of us, what is your life but a vapor which appeareth for a short time and then vanishes away? Here's the deal. When Jesus comes in all, in all of the heavenly reward and picture is painted for you, here's, here's the question. Are you, are you ready? Are you really ready for that moment? Are you really ready for that moment? Because it will come quickly swiftly that's why he's coming to get us is that we might enjoy that with him but here's the key to enjoy that with him it's not automatic it's the opening of one's heart and saying saying i'm not much you're everything i've sinned before you you've not sinned you took upon my sin and now i must take upon you and in taking upon you jesus i can now become the righteousness of god so I can walk into this place that you've prepared for me. Has that moment ever happened? I trust it has. Because one of these days we'll all find out. The return. He's coming. He's coming. Father, I'm praying right now in Jesus' name. That your Holy Spirit would move amongst us he has already in in amazing ways prophetically speaking life over people and possibilities and promises and boy that sure builds us up but your holy spirit also comes to reveal and to convict and to challenge and so we we are open to the full ministry of the holy spirit just as you can decree prophetically through giftings which build us up, Lord, you also come to challenge and to give course correction and to bring us to the place where we yield and our hearts are opened up and we say yes to you. Lord, I pray that for those that have, and, and maybe that's 100% here, Lord, I don't know. I am truly no man's judge. If that be true, then we all rejoice in the knowledge that there yet awaits a moment when you come for us that will be absolutely over-the-top remarkable. 
and our hearts yearn. My heart yearns. Lord, I, I want to be here for my grandchildren and my children, and I know there's yet things to do, but there's yet there's something in me that yearns for that day. Thank you for putting that yearning back. But Lord, for those that don't have that yearning or for those that are fearful of that day, for those that may not be sure, then Lord, I pray that perhaps before we even go today, that they just simply say yes to you. As we're just seated here in his presence, and I've just done this the last few weeks, won't embarrass anybody because honestly, it's between you and God. But just where you're seated, and nobody's looking around, I'm the only one that's going to open up my eyes here simply to see the hands that if you're saying to me today that I need to say yes, I need to be sure that there's a mansion with my name on it, whatever it may be. I'm just not sure, but I want to be. Or you might say, you know, I've, I've really, I've, I thought maybe I did, but I'm not really sure I did. You need to be sure. You need to nail this thing down. If you've been saved, then I can't really talk you out of it. But if the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction to you right now, it's not me that's talking anyone into anything or out of anything. It's the Holy Spirit who is saying, I love you enough to just touch you internally. And yes, I may be troubling your heart at the moment, but I will give peace to you if you'll just say yes to me with every head bowed now and every eye closed. If you just need to say yes, we're all going to pray together. I'm not going to make you get up and come forward, but I am going to make you hold your arm up for just a moment to acknowledge I need to say yes. If that's you, just lift your hand up real quick. It'll just be me. I see one, I see two, I see three. Just keep your hands up just for a minute. Anyone else? There's three. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. God bless you. I appreciate your honesty. How about it, folks? Let's all stand and we're going to pray together now.